0: Welcome back, everybody. This is America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. I'm breaking our normal introductory protocol to bring you a special guest introduction uh, of incredible proportions, ladies and gentlemen. In this episode, you're about to hear from the CEO and president of Logitech, Bracken Darrell. Logitech's value is over $12 billion, with its stock popping over 50% since the beginning of the year, as the pandemic has forced everything to move online. Bracken Darrell, as president and chief executive officer, is responsible for Logitech's strategy for growth and profitability, for the vision, for the brand, as well as for the company's operations. Talk about an impactful guest. He's consistently rated as one of the top CEOs in the world, and we are so honored He joined us, and we're so excited to bring you this episode. Well, here you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. This is Dr. Joe Salustio your host and my co-host elizabeth Lyba is always with me the amazing the commanding and i don't know what else i should say to describe you liz you're just unprecedented. Good.
1: i like yeah, commanding good. that's that's definitely a, a good word I, I i love the sound of that i'm doing very well how are you doing
0: well i'm you know what i'm i'm freaking out just a tad because of our guest today um <laughs> you know because uh Just, I have so many questions in my brain, I can't even get them all together right now. Um, And I'm sure he's as excited as I am, Liz. On the line right now, if you can believe it, ladies and gents, we have Bracken Darrell. He is CEO of Logitech. And uh, if you aren't using a Logitech product right now, you probably um, don't even know it because they have permeated all the great parts of our lives. Bracken,
2: how are you doing today? That's oh, terrific. Thanks so much for having me, and Liz, commanding, Liz. Oh no, this commanding
0: is this Liz. is such an honor right. for us.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is such an
0: honor for us. And you know, we're we, your company is doing some amazing things right now, um, and we're going to get into that. But you know, I thought it was a good Great. place to to start where we where we, we talked about uh, very briefly through through messaging that you have a a long pedigree in education in in uh, your background and in your family's background. It connects you to education in a way that's uh, significant. Can you talk a little bit about your background uh, growing up and how education has surrounded your life?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up with uh, my grandfather was one of the biggest influences on my life and my siblings' lives, and uh, he was a college president for a small junior college in, in, in uh, Jacksonville, Texas called Lawn Morris, and then my grandmother was an English professor at the same school. Actually, she taught aircraft identification during World War II, so she was teaching people to identify, you know, enemy planes from the ground. Oh, yeah. Then, uh-huh. then my, uh, my dad was a college professor. Uh, he, he died uh, last year. He was a college professor his entire life. My mother was a first grade teacher and later a college professor for the last uh, 15 years of her life. So. And then my brother became a college president of the college he went to for about five years he's now back in in the legal profession but yeah so i've got a lot of uh, a lot of education in my background around me
0: that's that's interesting is you know being a, a college president i say all the time an administrator or higher education is a pretty difficult job just because of the number of people you can affect um in 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 such a positive way in preparing them for the future it's a, a tremendous responsibility and yeah. uh you know i think uh, that, that and so you must value education. Um, and you continued, uh, by the way. And uh, let me just t- take a little aside here. Um, you're an English major uh, in your undergrad, is that correct?
2: That's correct.
0: Um, yeah. Liz, and you have anything to say about people. that?
1: I <laughs> love the I love the fact that Bracken was an English major because I teach English composition, and the fact that you went to a small liberal arts school, you didn't necessarily aspire immediately to go to an Ivy League school even though you did pursue your graduate study in Ivy League. I find that super fascinating. Like how did you talk about it with being like being a, a big fish in a small pond. Like how did you make that decision to do a small liberal arts school as opposed to going to an Ivy League? And I know, you know, your family circumstances and initially you thought it would be the better move for you, but can you speak a little bit toward the whole idea of being nurtured in a small school environment?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot easier story. Why I chose that, than my, you might think. I, I grew up with, um, I had a single mother, and, you know, we had really no money. And we were, when I, you know, growing up the entire time, I always looked at other people who had money, and I thought, oh, man, that I was intimidated by that. And when I looked for colleges, I looked for somewhere that was, uh, you know, good academically, but relaxed socially. I was terrified of the idea of a fraternity, where, which would require money for me to try to get into leadership roles. I just knew I wouldn't have. So I was... Easily intimidated, I guess, by the concept of money. So I didn't even think about going to a Ivy League School. I really looked for a, a good but affordable uh, school that I, you know, that that didn't have this intensity around what I thought was driven by. the where the social life was driven by money. I was really naive, to be honest. And looking back, you know, that was super naive. Now I will say I think making a going to a liberal arts, small liberal arts school was the best choice for me anyway. It was a fantastic choice. I mean. You know, to your point on being a big fish in a small pond, I'm not sure I was a big fish, but it was definitely a small pond. I got so many experiences, got to know my professors like you, Liz, and, you know, I got, I got to be, I just felt important, you know, in, in that small world that I was in and, and everybody was important in that world. I'm not sure you get that experience exactly in a lot of places. You have to, you have to create it, you know, so it was fantastic for me.
1: What about doing English as a major rather than you would expect someone that's the CEO of a huge multi-billion dollar company to be strictly have gone straight into more of a business track? What informed your decision to pursue that undergraduate major in more of a liberal arts field?
2: Well, I, you know, I grew up, I was, when I was younger, I was always better at math. You know, I was, I was very good at math and I was not very good at English. And my dad was an English professor, and my grandmother was an English professor, and my mom was an English major. And everybody around me was much more eloquent and, uh, you know, than I was. So I, so and I, and I and I knew I wanted to get into leadership roles. And I thought, man, oh, man, I, I got to be able to communicate better. So I decided when I went to college, I was going to force myself—not force myself—I was going to major in English, and then I'd take enough uh, business and math on the side that I could. I could go into leadership roles that require that. And so I did, and actually, ironically, I graduated with an English major. I'm sure I was the only person in the country the year I graduated that went into public accounting with an English major.
1: <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah, That's a weird transition.
2: That's a weird oh. transition. You know, believe me, I yeah, was not a great public account.
0: Well, the, mor- is the moral of the story here that passed its way to a uh, uh, CEO of a technology company is through be- becoming an English major. Um,
2: which right. uh, you we will go to I don't know if it's the fastest way, but you certainly are differentiated. And I'm a big fan of of uh, uh, Brett, you know, and so I think it's really terrific to have a different background from everybody else, no matter what you're doing, because you know, it it makes you stand out.
0: So Bracken, you know, as we shift the conversation a little bit to higher education. As you know, from your seat, uh, we've gone through and K through 12 as well, has gone through significant shifts uh, as we've moved to online learning during the time of coronavirus. Central to that has been Logitech and the, and the products that we've needed in education to operate. And I've seen that you, know, you guys have overproduced some of these products to ensure that, high, that education is getting what we need to uh, operate. So, from your view, what is that looking like? How is Logitech, uh, you know, complementing the efforts uh, of education and educators uh, to take care of students to higher education to operate? And uh, what do you think the future is looking like from a technology perspective?
2: Well, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think when, when you know about March 10th or March 11th, when the U.S. got went into you know shelter in place, I think it was like somebody hit the hyperspeed hyper button on on a remote education you know distance learning and 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 as a result you know instantly teachers needed a way to communicate with their kids and kids needed a way to communicate with the teachers whether it was K-12 to or or higher education and we were thrust into the middle of what we saw coming anyway over the long term but it just happened almost literally over a weekend and I think none of us were really prepared for that, including we weren't prepared for it from a volume standpoint. We really, we we really ran out of product almost immediately, and we really had to scramble to expand our capacity from the, the making of it to the components that go into it. And so we've been doing that ever since. And and uh, it's now that's the that's the facts around it. The emotion around it is, boy, is it rewarding because you know I spent my whole life surrounded by education, believing that. In some ways, there's nothing more important than that you could do for yourself than than education, and then overnight to be in charge of a company that's that's helping connect teachers and students all all over the all over the place of all ages is just so exciting, you know. And so, it's it's incredible. I mean, I, I couldn't be any more excited about it. And we are literally working with with um, you know every kind of institution you could think of. In fact, I, just, I was just reading an email about a big, a big California school, uh, public school system that we're helping, and there's a very big Ivy League school, you know, that that I'm very, I'm affiliated with that we're helping. So we're just in the middle of all of it, and we did prioritize education and healthcare from the beginning because we knew that that's where they needed us most, and, and businesses would catch up.
1: You know what? The the country has been re-examining the way that we look at race in America,
2: and I think that
1: we're just trying to come to grips with the disparities and trying to figure out, well, where do we go from here? How can we, how have you guys done that in terms of diversity inclusion? A lot of companies are looking at diversity inclusion efforts and trying to figure out like how they can navigate all these different issues. If you guys come out and say, hey, we're in support of this, or we're trying to do that, have you, a lot of that concept as far as from a corporate standpoint, how the best
2: yeah, you can navigate? Well, you know, Liz, it's interesting. The reason why I jumped off was there's many many racism training going on, but I, I've been directly uh, working with the, the instructor and, and she asked me to come on and speak to another client uh, who's their leadership team. So so we're deeply in the middle of this. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if we could probably take the rest of this call and talk about this. I mean, I, I grew up with Parents who were super on the right side of the ball here. I mean, they were, you know, my my mom and dad were just tremendous people from the standpoint of being open to everything. You know, gay, straight, brown, black, white, everything. You know, and uh, and we were. I in fact, I remember we were driving up from my hometown in Texas to move to a new place in Kentucky when I was six years old, and we we stopped at a in Mississippi or in kind of the Mississippi-Tennessee border at a cafe and we, were, and we walked in to sit down. my mom was driving the car and the four kids, we all sat down at the table and I, and I saw my mom standing and she was the nicest person you've ever met, never raised her voice at us. And I saw her raising her voice at the guy who was working at the counter. And then she walked down, I didn't notice it, but she came back behind me, grabbed me by the back of my shirt and pulled me off the stool and we walked out and I found out later that, that there was a sign up that said, you know, said no blacks, no Jews, no service. And so I grew up in that environment, you know, and I always felt like I was a really good person. I have lots of black friends, you know, and, and I, and, and it wasn't until George Floyd that I realized that, you know, I wasn't using my platform. I was, I kind of didn't realize, I didn't, it was stupid, you know, terrible. I mean, I, I didn't realize the world was kind of, I, I kind of thought of the world as like, there are these racists out there. And then there's all the rest of us. And then there are people, that, you know, being activists, but it didn't really, it didn't dawn on me that there are only two things, they're racist and anti-racist, and there's nothing else, and if you're not an anti-racist, you're acting like a racist, and I, it just hit me, so I'm, I've been, I had a really rude, it was a tough awakening for me, you know, and, and so I really, I, I mean, whether they wanted it or not, I went around and apologized to all, all my black friends, and I, and I got my act together, and I started going public on, on what we're going to do as a company, and, what we're, and now we're acting, you know, from supplier diversity programs to uh, diversity programs to my leadership team was already on the right path. But, but it's been awakening. It's been a big awakening for me, I'll tell you.
1: But that's, that's the first step, you know, understanding yeah. what's happening and then understanding the idea of activism and, and speaking up because if yeah. people don't speak Absolutely. up, then things will never change. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. that. That's no, it's been brutal. I mean, it's
2: been appropriately brutal, you know, and, and I, you know, I always thought, I always think, you know, if the, if somebody said to you, you know, there are people who are burglars and then there are people who are against burglary or, or anti-burglars, and then there's this other group. What's the other group? Nice. You know, that's the way it's been with racism, you know, and I was part of that group without realizing, without realizing meaning to be at all. I mean, I always thought I was a really good person. And so it's, it's been tough, you know, for for a lot of people who are in that spot, it should be. And the cool thing is, I think, the, as you said, I think the momentum is just unbelievable. I mean, I think in corporate America... There's not a, there can't be a leader in corporate America who doesn't realize that this has to move fast. And so uh, everybody has a plan. If they don't, they're gonna they're gonna disappear because you know nobody's gonna stand for it. So I'm 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 really enthusiastic of where we are, and I know that if you're, you know, I I talk to my black friends, especially the older ones. And they 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 kind of, some of them are like, man, I, I have seen this before. I feel the momentum, but I've seen this this story before. I don't like the way it plays out. But I really think, I really believe, and I, I sure hope, but just, I really believe this time's different. I think you're going to see massive changes. That's
1: awesome, and I appreciate you saying well, that because we, we we hope that that's the case, right, Joe?
2: Yeah, we we
0: do. And and you know, I was going to talk about personal responsibility in this, and I think in in your role, uh, Bracken, in, in your global role, the responsibility that you have to be, I an ally, you know, because of the number of lives you affect and. You know, on a smaller scale, the Edup experience that we do. You know, Liz. One day, Liz. I remember our story. Liz came and said, "I'm I'm feeling really." I don't remember the word you used. Liz just dejected. Deflated, today.
1: dejected. Yeah, yeah. yeah deflated.
0: Yeah. And I said, "You have a microphone with the with a podcast that is touching more people in higher education than any other yeah. podcast." I think yeah. in the world right now when it comes to higher wow. education administrators wow. and we just started nine months ago and we've got a huge awesome. audience of higher ed administrators. Um, yeah. Now, maybe I'm inflating it a little bit, but our but our trend line is going up at like a 75 degree angle. So there are people wow. sitting exactly. and I said, take that microphone and crush yeah. it. Say what you want to say. And, and so I think for the, for, for all of us as leaders, if you're going to be if you're going to be somebody who's respected and in, in what we hope is the new world, you better be vocal about the way Absolutely. you think and what you believe.
2: The other thing we're trying to do is we're trying to be transparent. You know, uh, you know, we, we're, we're going to publish everything because we want everybody to, you know, you will not change it if you don't face into it. And it's so easy to avoid it. And people are going to talk about all the great things they're doing, but you know, the rate of change is, dip- is partly dependent on where you start and if you start in a terrible place your rate of change better be really fast so we're we're putting it all out there we're 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 showing we're going to show every level of our diversity by diverse group including intersectionality we're going to we're we're, show- we're i've already gone public on exactly how many black suppliers we have and that would be zero zero in the united states now we're already out of that but that's where we started and we just have to make a huge difference here so you know, being, being held accountable. I, I, I want to be held accountable. I want to be fired if I don't make a big difference here over the next year. And two, and three. Talk
1: about that. I love that concept, Bracken. Talk about how you fired yourself. Because I watched an interview where you said you fired yourself, and then you had some introspection about that, that process and making sure there were no sacred cows and being fresh. Talk about firing yeah. yourself and from a leadership perspective, how that's something that everyone should think
2: about doing yeah well i you know i i uh, yeah okay I'll, I'll give you the full story so i i've been in this job for about five years i was i was thinking one night you know we've been we were successful we're worth four times more or five times more than we were when i started and and i was thinking god we're so different from where i started you know we're, we're different not a different company but we're really different and then i was thinking five years from now we'll be even more different from what we are today than we were then so we've got a bigger change ahead of us so i was thinking you know. It, it kind of begs the question, are, am I the right person for the job? So I, I kind of wrote down, what do I think the future CEO should be like? And I wrote down my, my background right next to it. And I thought, you know, I would be in contention. You know, I know the business well. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in design. I like it, I love innovation. So, so I thought, you know, I'd be in the con, in contention, but I've got this one big problem, which is I know I, I determined most of the strategies, I picked most of the people, I've touched almost every product, you know, I I know too much, you know, to be objective. And I'd read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, and I thought, you know, I'm the wrong person for the job because of that. So, so I thought, you know what? And I've got a lot of stock in the company. I thought, you know what? I'm going to fire myself. I'm 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 out. You know, and then, but I've learned to sleep on decisions. It's amazing how long you, how many, how much you learn overnight when you're asleep. So I decided I'm firing myself. I'll tell my chairman tomorrow, and then and that's it. And I'll sleep on this. One. So I went to bed. Perfectly comfortable. And I woke up the next morning and I totally flipped on it. Like I have, you know, 51% of the decisions I've made when I sleep on. And I, I thought, you know what, that's, that's, that's wrong. If I, I just have one important thing. I have to sign a contract with myself that there are no sacred cows and then I'm going to be absolutely objective. And so I rehired myself and I felt like a newcomer again, you know, and I went to work and I won't tell you what I do, but I made some pretty drastic changes. And then I went to my leadership team about two months later and I said, I told them the story. And I said, now I'd like you guys to go, go this weekend and fire yourselves. And, and if you don't choose not to come back, it's perfectly understandable. Um, And if you choose to come back and you'll be like me, you'll feel like a newcomer again. And I said, if you don't go fire yourself, I will and I will hire you back. And it wasn't a threat. It was yeah, just a I mean, you need yeah, to. I know. So, so we need, I'm not a cold-blooded person at all, but I really meant it because I, I think, you know, the concept of reinvention has never been more important. If you're not reinventing yourself back to zero all the time now, mm-hmm. as often as you possibly can. And I used to think it's five years. Now I'm wondering if it's not five months or five days or, or every day or something. So that's the story.
0: Hey everyone this is joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we've released under the edup experience brand including multiple podcast series edup elites edup embedded and edup experts you can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast then head over to youtube Check out our channel, The Edup Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host Elizabeth Leiba has started a new web series called Edup Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the Edup Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. Well, you talked, you you used a word called, you said reinvention. So here, I'm going to ask you what I think is the holy grail question for for higher education right now. And you have have a unique, really a a demanding and commanding spot to to be able to answer this with with your opinion. And just a, a little bit of background, you probably know this. You know the value of higher education has been something that has come into question over over the years over recent years because of mounting debt because of increased tuition prices uh, you know uh, moving faster than the, the rate of inflation um, you have uh, a job readiness being a big question particularly in the, in the field of technology where technology companies have said you don't need a higher education Go get yourself some certificate somewhere, learn how to code, and and you can get a job and have a career that way. You don't need higher education. There's been a big question of value coming out of the tech companies, the tech sector, that has made higher education really question its its own value. And so here you are, you're leading one of the biggest technology companies in the world. And, And you can answer this from your organizational perspective or your personal perspective or both, it's up to you. But what is the value in a technology company of a higher education, or d- does a higher education, does a, a formal higher education have value in technology in an organization that that's, has a global influence?
2: Now, so what do you get from, a higher, from, from higher education? So once you get past your high school experience, what do you get by going on? And, and there are lots of things you get, but I'm just gonna name a few. One of them is you get that next uh, dimension of learning to critically think. And you get it when you're probably more capable of critically thinking. I mean, I was, uh, I don't know about everybody else, but I was not very, um, I was not really comfortable defending my ideas and, and I wasn't great at at analyzing things as deeply when I was 18 as I was when I was 22. And I think that, that 18 to 22 year old period, which that's what it was for me for other people it's older and younger maybe, you know, that's a critical period to learn how to think and, and challenge your, your, topics and challenge each other you know and i think that higher education gives you a safe place to learn to do that and a breadth of topics to do it upon and so i think it's a real gift to get to do it the way we do it in the, in america which is you get to have these be surrounded by other people going through this at the same time and you get to even if you don't realize it, you get this process of challenging topics and being challenged by them and being challenged by each other if you're if you're lucky and 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 you've got this orchestra conductor called the professor who who sometimes you love and sometimes you tolerate but they do they, they play this role of being the provocateur you know try to find that experience going straight to work one day you just won't get it now it doesn't mean that it's for everybody and it doesn't mean that you can't have an incredible life and career without it and in fact you might even be able to match the experience you get in higher education but boy what i just described the yield in that is much higher than if you take the shot at just going out and doing it on your own. The second thing I'd say is, how many times in your life do you get, um, you, get at, you get expected to study a broad range of topics? And you know, I'll tell you, the older you get, the more I, or at least the older I get, the more I appreciate the value of analogies that come from one field being applied to another to, to create new insights and new creative ideas. And, and if you roll into the future, there's nothing, maybe there's nothing more that humanity can do that's more important than creativity. Uh, one day, certainly computers will be creative, as, maybe as creative as we are, but they'll never be humanly creative. And today, I don't think they can be as creative as we can be. So it's a, I, I obviously feel pretty strongly about it. I don't think you have to go to university. I, I, we hire people all the time. who don't have a, a, a college background. But I I think it's just a lost opportunity if you don't, because you just it's such a gift. I hated school.
0: I hated high school. I hated college. I just hated it. And then I go on to get my doctorate degree as I I get older and now truly value, uh, you know, higher education and learning. Lifelong learning is, is really important, right? We have to be students of the game, so to speak. And, you know, sustainability is a big part of our futures. And you know, higher education has a critical role to play in preparing people for a sustainable world. Whether it's individually working with others who you disagree with, we know that the polarization of ideas right now is probably at an all-time high. Uh, yep. you, know, you have to, to to be aware. You have you know, I, you brought up the professor thing, and and I, Liz probably knows this. You, you have a student that has a professor that they absolutely can't stand and and when I would have students come to me and say I I don't like my my teacher Liz she just is this way or that way and I would say (laughs) when you go into the job world and and you have a boss that you don't like you don't get to ask for a new boss you need to figure out how to work with people so there's a critical learning function that comes from being exposed to higher education and and, you know I I appreciate what you're saying because you know there's a, a the 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 one great thing that higher education gives us today is choice. You can choose not to go. You can choose to go online. You can choose to go on ground. You can choose to go for a yeah. short program, a long program, non-credit credit, right? And it's yeah. about choice, consumer choice.
1: Bracken, you were, you were involved in um, some, uh, I guess, what would that be, administrative functions, like board of trustees with your undergrads. So you got a little peek behind the curtain of how higher ed functions. what are some tips or what are some advice or what are some things you're big on design thinking you're big on innovation and and looking at ways that you can be nimble and agile and and analyzing um your market and and how to be better what what advice would you give give those higher ed leaders that are thinking about going into post-covid era how they can better serve their students I know you think about consumer at the center how can we put student at the center and grow as a sector, do you think?
2: Well, thank you for that question because I, I I have a few opinions that are are a little romantic, um, but <laughs> r- I'm very passionate about them. You know, I think when when most when people grew up in the early 1900s in America, when when the university education was really forming and and getting defined as we see it today, they were they lived in homes with two parents and they went to churches or synagogues and or, or in, in other countries in the world mosques and 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 some in here now certainly a lot near now go to mosques and so they were they had they had the benefit of religion and I'm not a religious person they had the benefit of two parents at home and I grew up in a single family home a single uh, with a single mother so so you know they they grew up in a different world than we did and 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 so by the time you came out of home you know you had some kind of an ethics or morals or you know and, and how do you how do you do things the right way not just the 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 way that gets them done you know so you had this education that went beyond the content of education and then when you went to college if you did you got this additional content that helped you learn how to work and live and and understand the world better now roll forward from the those you know pre-world war ii days to today most people don't most people don't bring, grow up with two parents at home in fact most people don't grow up with any parents at home because their their mother or father's at home they're working a lot and so they're just seeing them a few if they're if they're seeing a few hours a day they're lucky and or if they do are lucky enough to have two parents know it's different most people don't go to church anymore or whatever they replace as a church um so what happens is you then go to college you get exactly the same content you got it's great it's fantastic then you graduate and then you start looking for the stuff you didn't get so that's why self-help books are are more than 50 percent of all the books that are sold in uh in online bookstores you know because you're looking to find how how do I do things and how what what are the principles where I should live my life? You know nobody teaches that. So I always think you know educa- uh, higher education is missing the biggest opportunity in the world, which is how to help a person figure out what a person should be. They're still teaching content, and they're not teaching how to be a great person. You know, and nobody's teaching that. It, it, you're finding it on your own later when you when you get out and you, you start realizing you didn't get it. So that, to me, is the single biggest gap. And I, I've talked to other people about it, and it's a hard one. You know, it's hard to, <laughs> to address that one. But, you know, how, what is happiness? You know, you know a friend, Tal Ben-Shahar, who's a, a professor who taught at Harvard for a few years, he went in and teach a class on happiness. I didn't come speak to a group for me. And uh, he said, the first year, I had eight people in my class, and four of them dropped out. By the third year, I had 800. We were the biggest class in the university. And it wasn't about having fun and clicking your heels together. It was about what's a happy life. What is it? And I think that's what university college education should step into and and provide.
0: And do you think that comes from, from self evaluation of what makes my life happy or how I interact with others. That's going to make my, or maybe it's both right. Um, How do you see that unraveling?
2: I think it's both, you know, I think it's um, it's understanding the difference between fun and happiness. It's it's then getting down deep into you know what is what is a good life you know if when you're when you're in it when you're looking back on it when you're looking forward toward the future of it you know it's really studying what what a good life is and then developing your own sense your own definition of what your values are what you believe in what you don't believe in um, and then what you want to get out of your life if you can you know starting to form at least those blurry goals in your life not just the bucket list which sounds I've always hated the word bucket list because it sounds like you just get something done to get it done, you get a checkbox, but really building a, a plan for your life that's got integrity, and then, of course, it's going to change, but at least you, you get started, you know, and I think all those things should and could, and, and for some people do happen or begin to happen in their in their college education years, but But it'd be nice if that were a part of the education system.
0: I like what you say about a bucket list, too, because I've always felt, I feel the same way. I always felt like a bucket list is the things that you really think you'll never do that you put on the list, right? Mm Because if you really intended to do those things, you'd be creating a plan to get them done, right? I just think that's a a big difference. I also,
2: I also don't like the idea that let's try to get as many things, things as we can done before we die. You know that seems like an awfully fatalistic view. I'd rather you know try try you know <laughs> go build things, go try to create things, to, you know good experiences, but not just to check them off before it's all over. you know that's not a that's not a life.
0: Well, you know Logitech uh, as an organization is all over, I'd like to say. Uh, you know it's all over our homes, all over our ears. Um, our it's got our faces on camera you're doing webcams you're doing live streaming services you're doing uh, You have if you go to logitech.com There's like five or six brands there at the top you can check out and, and because I think uh, you know There's some people that think that they look down at their keyboard and mouse and that's logitech But logitech is so much more one of your biggest um, verticals is, e- is uh, Esports gaming you know, what a huge yeah. industry that is becoming we were talking yeah. to a college and university president uh, president the other week it's a small liberal arts school they have no sports but they they started an e-gaming sports team right so that oh, yeah. gives them sports without sports so what is um if you look at the future of education and how logitech will play a role in in the future of education you know where do you see uh, uh, your organization continuing to support education is, are you going to get into vr and ar you might already be that you probably can't tell me because it's in some r d uh in the basement with the batmobile um, if I, you know, so what what's coming next?
2: Well, first of all, we we uh, go into your comment on esports. Esports is is a it, you know we we really doubled down on it when I joined the company eight years ago, and today it's uh, and by some measures our biggest pro, our biggest business. You know, esports has become a phenomenon. If you're not into the age of thirty or even twenty five, you might not realize how big it is. You know, more people, as many people watch the League of Legends final has watched the super bowl last year live. Wow. So it's big, you know, and it's going to get bigger and bigger because these, these people are growing up. They're going to have kids. They're going to play with their kids. So it's going to be the biggest collection of sports in the world, bigger than any conventional sport in my opinion. And I think it'll be part of the Olympics before you know it. So esports is big. In, in education in general, and we support a lot of college universities uh, who are getting into sports, and I have discussions every week now with some somebody who's really interested in bringing a college into the esports world. The, 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 the rest of the education, that's just a slice of what we want to do, though. We're, we're already in the education space. We sell, um, you know, when, when Apple sells a, 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 an iPad into the education space, we, we, we often sell a keyboard in there or one of our pencils which we call crayon and we and and so they're protective they're sturdy all that stuff and we also sell mice and keyboards and of course we're selling webcams and headsets so we've got a whole array of things we bring into education and of course we've got video conferencing equipment we're the biggest video conferencing uh room provider in the world now we're bigger than the next two combined and, and number of rooms enabled so we're we want to apply that to education because Partly because you know we all love education, and partly because it's just needed. And so, so we're we're uh, in a world where education has become physical and virtual, where it's visual and audible. You know, this really lends itself well to what we do best.
0: It also sounds like you have a personal, a personal passion for education that that's you know led you maybe to this podcast to talk to us about Logitech and education, um, the the fact that you're looking uh, to education, uh, you know, to, to the future. Is that true? Do you, do you feel a passion towards education and, you know, given your, your background?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm so, I'm so oriented because of the way I grew up, I'm so oriented towards learning that, um, uh, and, and it's just, to me, it's all about learning. You know, in fact, one of the personal principles I try to live by is I take, I think you should take the word success, which is loaded. Because the problem with success is everybody wants it, but when you get a little taste of it or people think you're successful, you then try to protect it. And a lot of things that got you, in quotation marks, successful, get in your way because they, they, you stop taking chances, you start trying to protect, you stop doing the objective things. That, so take success out of your vocabulary and put it aside. And then there's failure. You know, failure is terrifying, you know, because you, it, it's by definition, you're, you're no good if you failed. And so take that word and stick it on the side, take both those words and just put them in the trash can next to your desk and replace them both with learning because it's all about learning. Success or failure is just a definition of something that happened in the past that you can observe and learn from, so forget them. They're all about learning, they're just, they're just new classrooms. So I, that's kind of my whole view of the world is it's all about learning and growing and then applying and learning and growing again. And what I love about design and uh, is that design's about experimenting and and constantly learning and growing and learning and growing and and putting the user in the middle of that. And so design is the ultimate expression to me of how do you turn learning into a practical tool to create better things.
1: Higher education is often known for being very traditional. So I think we definitely can learn a lot from the tech space, uh, some of the things that you've done throughout your career as far as design thinking and managing change and and being agile and, and looking at new markets. So definitely, we appreciate you sharing those, um, those lessons with us. It's definitely, um, we're gonna have to do some thinking about how to grow as a sector and, and really pivot to a new uh, so let's ask our last couple of questions. Joe, you didn't have any okay. other additional final questions before we wrap well, up.
0: I, I do have more questions, but I don't think that uh, <laughs> it, it, we, I don't think we have enough time for me to continue to ask questions. <laughs> we did, most, we, <laughs> yeah,
2: most of your listeners have already fallen asleep at this point. There, no, they're, absolutely Hopefully, not. they're not. I hope they're not driving and listening to this.
1: No, absolutely not. You, you gave some. You dropped some gems of, of wisdom and knowledge on us today. Definitely, I couldn't even count them. So you, you definitely did a great job. We appreciate you. What do you see as the future of higher education, and How do you see us as a, a sector in, in the, the, the pairing of technology and, and some of the, lessons, the leadership lessons that you've learned? How do you see that being uh, applied, and how do you envision education in the future and then just lastly before uh, in, in any order you want to before you wrap up also are there any other things that logic tech is doing or or anything else that you want to share about your company and all the amazing innovations that are happening for you guys in the future as well
2: you know i, I think education is is, uh, is going to get more and more important so it's going to keep accelerating in importance uh, you know, as time goes on, and 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 I and the reason I say that is because I think the the fa- the, the faster the rate of change in anything, the more the, re- the more what you learned isn't as relevant anymore. And so I think I think you know at the end of the day, it's really difficult to imagine how education will become uh, more integral to everything we do. And you know, if you, uh, and and if you roll that forward to some level, you're like re- you're learning new stuff every day. You know, I think, so, so I think education is going to become more and more important. Technology is a is a is is one, it has two roles to play. One is it can help you learn, and the other one is it can help you um, create things for other people to, to experience or learn. And so I think, I love being in the technology space because it's just magical that you get to play a role in both of those. And Logitech is going to try to play a role in both of those. One of our biggest businesses is, uh, or one of our, one of our, biggest business is video everywhere and another one that will be one of our biggest businesses one day is creating content and engaging with people in that content. So I couldn't be any more optimistic about the, the role that educational play in society and I think uh, we're, Logitech will try to be right in the middle of it.
1: Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp experience please visit edupexperience.com and if you want to be in on the live recordings please sign up for our email list go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber we'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does so please as always feel free to share this podcast rate, review and subscribe we would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio,
2: Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.